am just happy that I can get myself some mini donuts. Uh, I am not going to get the $100 gold burger. No, no, no. But they're smaller ones. Oh, I think what are they, the, uh, gold the sliders are $25, I want to say. <laughs> I mean, they're smaller. Part of you kind of wants to. If it's 25 bucks, I can sort of justify that. Yeah. I, I, I can't really. But I don't know how that breaks down in your system, though. Is that is it like gum it's, seven years in your system? No, no, no it's, it's edible. You, okay. like, you know, they use gold leaf on like pastry every now and then. That's true. But That's true. Uh, And I've seen, I remember when I was in England, actually, I saw tea that had gold in the tea. Ah. And, a, and a jar of it, like imagine like an apothecary jar, was 900 pounds. Holy cow. Yeah. Pounds. Pounds. Yeah, 900 pounds sterling. That's like 2,000 uh, Canadian. So, yeah, exactly. So, like a $25 burger, $25 slider. I think I can. Yeah, I, think I might. I, can uh, I might do that. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 206 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Summer's over, folks. Kids are going back to school. Cottages are closing up for the season. The nights are getting longer. The evenings colder. The joyous times of patios, carnivals, beaches, and bonfires is nearing last call. At the movies, that's uh, usually a death nail since historically August is a barren wasteland for worthy material, but not this year. Thanks to a bumper crop of amazing indie movies and a wide array of voices, this summer has indeed seemed endless. And I, for one, have enjoyed celebrating that. So it is time to celebrate once more, drinking like we don't have to go back to class on Monday. And of course, for that, we need a guest. And I have a great one lined up to help us move from summer into autumn. He's way overdue. We're sitting down on a show proper as concern. He did uh, join me to talk about TIFF last year. Um, he's been someone I've always enjoyed catching up with when I see him around town. And he's even taken over as social activities director for Toronto's broken social scene where the moviegoers are concerned. He is the writer at flickhunter.blogspot.com. We're back home. Norman Glaskin's here. How are you, Norm? Thank you. Thanks very much. How, how you doing? How's your day? How's your good. week been? Day's good. I feel like I'm uh, breaking my Susan Lucci streak here of uh, <laughs> endless I, nominee, but never getting that award. But we're finally sitting down. I Great mean, to hear. yeah, I, I, I prefer to call it the um, also the James McNally Award. Oh, okay. I've, I haven't had him back on since like episode fifty. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I think. When I come back for a new like crop of shows, I really gotta like look for some people who I either haven't talked to at all or haven't talked to in a long time because this is starting to get sick. You know, <laughs> I, I'm straight up out of excuses, and my Catholic guilt is just straight up off the chart. But I'm glad to finally have you here um, for a really good movie too. But before we get to that, we have a lot of housekeeping off the top of the show. So permit me a moment. First of all, uh, last weekend I dropped a little audio essay into the podcast feed on the nature of forgiveness. Um, several of you were kind enough to send me notes. Uh, of appreciation and encouragement and for that I'm both humbled and grateful anytime I can take something crummy that happens to me and turn it into something good for y'all I'm a happy dude so thanks again for that and if you haven't listened um, please go back an episode and consider giving it a play second my podcasting Yoda Jamie Dew uh, had me on to record uh, something Earlier in the summer, and it's going to be dropping soon, Jamie has created a show. His podcast is called Show of Strength, and it's all about mental health um, and mental wellness. And he created a little subcategory of those shows called Songs of Strength, where he's had guests come on once a month and talk about a little six-song playlist that they reach to for mental wellness in times of depression or anxiety or what have you um and i was on uh, a show we recorded it's going to go live 
on September 2nd. Um, I'd, I'm really proud of it. It was a really, really um, eye-opening experience to talk about a lot of this stuff out loud um, on kind of a crummy day too. So um, look for that. There will be a link for that in the show notes and that goes up the first Sunday in September. Third, TIFF 2018 is rapidly approaching, and Norm is going too. Do you have your schedule done yet? TIFF, TIFF, TIFF. Do you have your schedule done yet? My TIFFer's done. Nice. But uh, some stuff aren't on it yet. So, uh, like, Ben is back's not in there for one of them. Okay. They got to fix that. They're fixing that today. That is my whole weekend. I I, I have, like, I'm doing what I've done the last two years. I'm going to go for the women in film. Right. So, my class is about 90 movies to start with. Uh, and then I got to, and I mean, a lot of those are shorts and wavelengths, so it's probably closer to sixty. Okay, I whittle that down to about fifteen. So that's my my Saturday and my Sunday, along with putting the show together, um, is TIFF. Um, and of course, so Norm will have some content there as well. Lots um, of Lucas Hedges. I'm lots seeing of Lucas Hedges. Three of his movies. Oh man, he's got yeah. the honorary honorary Jessica Chastain Award for 2018. The podcast, if you're new here, tends to send little postcards uh, out into the feed called Wicked Little Town. And I'm not completely certain right now how many of them I will be dispatching. I think my record is five, uh, one particular TIFF. I always get at least one of them out. Um, So count on at least one postcard from TIFF 2018 um, within the feed and lots and lots of written content on the site. Finally. The podcast itself, the matinee cast proper, is taking a teeny bit of a planned break. Historically, September is absolute murder to podcast through between trying to work around the film festival, looking for worthwhile new films in a month where studios have just stopped caring, and just trying to get life back on the rails. So I'm sort of considering this the end of the season for the matinee cast with episode 206 with Norm today. There will be uh, as many tif- dispatches as I can offer. But after that, it's a good little break for a few weeks before a new season launches in October. Today, though, now that we have all the housekeeping out of the way, we are going to be talking about the new Spike Lee joint. I can actually say that. I, I'm, I'm used to say joint as like everybody's film, like the new Steven Spielberg joint. Right. The new, you know, I'm actually, actually using He's the it originator. correctly. Yeah. He's the originator. Spike Lee joint, Black Klansman. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Norm. This is Know Your Enemy. All right, man, give me a break from talking, for the love of God. <laughs> what is the first film you can remember seeing in a theater? Uh, Jungle Book. Probably a re-release. I, I would hope Book. so, because that, that was like the 1950-something, and I know you're not that old. You know, it was, it was 67 was the first one. Mm-hmm. So I saw a re-release. I remember seeing that. First mm-hmm. one I remember seeing. Okay. Um... It's been a while since we've had a Disney movie as the as the first one. For a long time, that was like everybody's answer. Okay, was some sort of Disney movie, and then the usual add on was, and it scared me. Um, do you remember anything about the experience? Uh, just the popcorn that, that had that crazy old time popcorn, the rectangular box that you try and peel open. Oh yeah, yeah. Tried to do that, didn't work very well. Spilt it everywhere. That's the main <laughs> thing I remember. Uh, you went with your parents? Yeah, with my mom. My mom took me okay. to it. And that was here in the city, or no? It was here in the city. Okay, uh, I'm not sure remember where, but it's here in the city. Somewhere in the city. And I get like obviously you were hooked because now you're a movie junkie. Yeah, um, sure. Didn't scare me. Um, I do remember a lot of running around in the trees, the mm. animals. That was really neat. Yeah, but it wasn't. That's not a scary one, though. No, I, I mean, no. Uh, it's been, like I mean, it's been actually a long time since I've watched it. I watched the the live action version two years ago, um, which you know that's a whole other animal. Pardon the pun. Um, but no, I haven't seen that one in a while. I thought, isn't there a thing where they try to steal the fire and things kind of get 
crazy. Right. That's when the forest fire starts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, that can be a little intense if you're a kid. Yeah. If you're impressionable. I didn't... I was pretty straightforward. Yeah, you're a like, badass. Some other things scared me. Like, <laughs> when I saw Wizard of Oz, that scared me, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Bat Witch. Yeah. And, uh... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang scared me. What? How? They put all the kids in the jail. Oh, yeah. That really scared me. Okay. Why are right. there no kids? They're all in jail. They're all in that jail. That scared me. That but is, yeah, that's Jungle up. Book, no. Okay, cool. I, as I said, it's been... It, that one, I'm kind of curious to go back to it because I remember that's the last one Walt worked on. Right. So I'm kind of curious to... that. That's kind of like the end of that era. And so, then they actually kind of like start wandering in the weeds for a long time. So I should... Maybe one of these I should give it another look. I, I'm... Certain there's a lot of like inherent racism in it that you kind of gotta yeah probably <laughs> you kind of gotta overlook. Awesome. Um, what is the last movie you saw? Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Saw that last weekend. Nice. Okay. So uh, speaking of the August, uh, different yeah, voices. You know what? You know what's nuts. So last night I went to see Black Klansman for as a late show. I was like picking up my ice cream at the counter at like nine thirty or something, and there was just a flood. Of people, like some theater had let out, and there was just a huge crowd that was all getting out at one time. And I asked the woman at concessions, I was like, "What? Where's everybody coming out of?" And she kind of smiled. She goes, "Crazy Rich Asians." I was like, "I am so happy to see that many people coming out of Crazy Rich Asians." What did you make of that movie? It was excellent. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I'm not a big romantic comedy person no? at all. No, but uh, it was really well done. Um, Singapore was excellent. Uh, the casting was good. Acting was good. Good storyline. Um, I kind of liked how she stood up for herself um, against the family, against the, the ex-girlfriend and their friends. Uh, yeah, she was very well cast. And I've heard that Golding is kind of like his first real role. Yeah. Yeah, his first real role at all. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, I mean, the, the, the crooks with this kind of movie, it, it's kind of like what happened with, um, in the last 14, 18 months, we, we saw this with, Black Panther, and we right, saw this sure. with Wonder Woman, where it was like everybody get out and support this. Exactly, you know, this is this is people of color in film. This is female filmmakers and a female superhero. You got to get out there the first weekend and throw it your money, even if you don't really want to see it, right? And I mean, that was kind of where I was at going in. I'm like, I I could just think that this is silly, right? And I still want to give it my money. Um, and I was happy as hell. It's it's a wonderful little movie. It's it's actually quite layered it's on, on the, it's kind of funny because on the surface if it was about a whole bunch of white people i would have hated it because i've been like i don't care about these rich people at all true you know what I i'm saying that. but because it's about a culture where the family is so much more intricate and complicated and dynamic than it is in north america it adds a whole other level of complication and interest to it that it wouldn't have had if it was just a bunch of white people right i heard some people talking around me some young um, Asian girls were sitting behind me and just to hear them talk that's, that's my aunt mm. my, like the dumpling scene that's what my cousin would have said there and just just them seeing themselves on screen yeah is a big deal there was a really great um, Twitter thread that came down this week somebody like somebody was saying about how what it meant for them was the fact that when they were a kid their father delivered Chinese food and it was the, the, the person the, the tweeter if that's a word. Okay. Uh, it was an Asian girl. Right. And she was saying how, like, when she grew up, she was actually ashamed. And she would, like, really didn't want to have anything to do with her heritage. But seeing all of this really, really made her far more proud of, of who she is. I think I saw one like that, too. You know? Part of it was 
like an eighth grade people came in as tacky Asian tourists yeah. and had their eyes yeah. kind of yeah and she went to, back I think she said like she went to university and, and that was the first time that she really got a sense of like uh, of an Asian um, community right. at that school and and kind of started to bring her back and this was kind of the end of the journey right. I mean I think and also like Black please. Panther as well. Um, that people buying out screenings mm-hmm. and say, if you want to go, I bought out the screening. Just send me a message. I'll send you money for a ticket or come to the screening. Yeah. It's had that type of feel as well. I just, I mean, I said it on in the introduction of the show. If nothing else, I just love that there's good stuff to see in August. Right. You know, that, that's, that. I think that's, that's the best thing I love about this movie is if nothing else, even if you don't want to get caught up in supporting representation or, or anything like that, or, or if you consider it charity or whatever, at, at, at the end of the day, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a very you know, good It's movie. not like I'm saying, just go see it. It's okay, but it's important that you support it. No, it's, it's fine. It's great. You know, I can't think of a single person I wouldn't suggest this movie to. Yeah. So, cool. So in my yeah. review, I said, first we had Asgard, then we had Wakanda, mm-hmm. and now we have Singapore. It's kind of my <laughs> I love it. ABC I love it. on that. Very nice, very nice. Uh, Norm, what is one of the worst movies you have ever seen? This is going to make you mad. No way. Uh, American Hustle. David O. Russell and the David O. Russell no, players. No, it's not going to make you mad. Okay, okay. You're a David O. Russell guy, I, though. I, I am, and I like that movie, but I... I oh, I, I get it's, the hate for him. It's... It, I, I don't know what to say about this movie. <laughs> it's... First of all, it tells you why trailers are so bad. You have mm. good times, bad time, playing through that trailer... They cut it up to look really slick. First of all, Good Times, Bad Times is not in the movie at all. No. Um, and the soundtrack to that movie kind of sucks. It's a bad soundtrack. Yeah. How have they got a bad soundtrack for a movie of that era is I, yeah, unbelievable. That's, that's trying hard. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Amy Adams and her fake English accent that she's mm. half dropping part of the time. Yeah. The best part of the whole movie is Christian Bale doing his comb-over in the first <laughs> five, seven minutes of the film. It's a work of performance art on its own, yeah, that's you know? the best part of the whole movie. And it's all downhill from there. It's, yes, downhill. Jennifer Lawrence and talking about her science machine. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just didn't like it. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, David O. Russell has kind of become this strange entity unto himself, right? Like, this is a guy who sort of just seems to show up and he manages to get Oscar nominations for people these days, which is really weird because for so long he was becoming like the hardest dude to work with in Hollywood. He like basically like he almost flamed out the fighter. He was basically a hired gun. Right. And then all of a sudden he gets this whole second act in his career. This is where Lindsay would say if he was a woman, he'd never work again. You know, if you look at if you, you read stories about how he how many bridges he burned in his first few movies and how nailed just got so spectacularly messed up and taken away from him. That's the kind of tantrum and diva esque uh, nature that only white dudes are allowed to get away with. I, I don't know about that. There's some odd foreign directors that can get away with that type of stuff as well but they're not but they're they're in a whole other system okay. right you know what i'm saying like they're that's i mean hollywood oh yeah hollywood okay yeah. sure so no i i mean i get it like i i'm a fan of russell still but if somebody comes along to me and they say i don't like any of his movies i don't know i totally get that and yeah that one's i like silver linings i mean even though jay law stole jessica chastain's oscar but that's this is true story. i like i mean i'd say i like american hustle more than i like joy I'd watch American Hustle again. I'd certainly never yeah, watch Joy. Joy was... <laughs> you forgot so, all about Joy, didn't you? Joy was... No, American Hustle... I 
I had lower expectations for okay. Joy. Okay. All so right, I had is. high expectations for American Hustle. Nice. And it did not meet oh, it at all. Man. Uh, Norm, what's a classic or essential that you have not seen? Um, I'm going to say Tokyo Story. Oh, okay, okay. I've not seen that. I've been planning to try to make that work, but that's um, what I have to see. Yeah, I, um, I'm still woefully ill-versed in classic Japanese cinema. I've seen a bunch. It just it, it feels like a very deep well. Very, very, very deep well between all of those masters that were working throughout the 20th century. Right. Um, I mean... Kurosawa's got like what seventy five films or oh, something yeah, crazy like yeah. that, and Ozu's got so many more. And I, um, I, I know I've seen, I saw it. I watched it as a blind spot the first year that I went. Okay, um, but it's it's kind of faded a little bit in my memory. I do remember really enjoying it. Um, like most Japanese movies, it's very patient, so don't be in a hurry. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know. Well, that's that's the nature of it. It's not long. It's like don't get me wrong. It's not a long movie, but it's it's very subdued. Um, that's a good choice. Like, I mean, the thing I like about that choice too is that goes beyond the normal like AFI list answers. I kind of feel like a lot of people who I ask that question of it kind of comes down to like Citizen Kane or Godfather. I think I even told you right. when you were kind of thinking of an answer. Here's the normal answers I tend to right, get. Exactly. Um, are, are, is that like that, that whole? Is it? Are you like me? That whole area? Yeah, I, I need to see more. Okay. Um, but that's the number one one on my list I have to track down. Okay. I plan to do it this year for sure. Didn't they play it at Lightbox this summer? I know they played some Japanese stuff. Mm, I'm not sure if they played that one. Okay. I always feel I bad when wrong. there's one that's like been cemented on my 2C list and they show it there and I don't go. I feel like I'm not doing my homework. I must have missed it then. You know, or, I get the book. I looked at the book. I, know, I, I do don't too. think I yeah. saw it. Can't wait. All right. And last but not least, what is a film that for any rhyme or reason you wish you had made? Apocalypse Now. Oh, why that one? It almost killed the director, Francis Coppola. <laughs> uh, Martin Sheen went completely method actor, almost lost his mind. And my favorite actor of all time, Marlon Brando, is in it when he still was kind of lucid and, and doing his thing. So I uh, would have liked to have directed that one. But the I scope, mean- what happened, Robert DeVal direct, directing those helicopters, that, that whole scenario. Do you think you could have kept like that three ring circus going forward because that's the uh, thing like the fact that the, the fact that that got finished is a miracle unto itself and the fact that it's good is almost beyond comprehension yeah Coppola spent down I think to his last nine dollars type thing to get that yeah. all his money to get that movie done yeah that's why I'm asking yeah. like the, the achievement at the end of it is, is certainly worth it but I'm like the, the, you and I both know what he had to go through to get to that achievement. That's, I'm saying, it you want to go him. through that? It almost killed him. I would like to see how I would do and thrive in that scenario. And okay. So much going on, and the natives, the locals. Um, you lose Lawrence, an actor. Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne at 19. Yeah, you lose it. Like I mean, uh, you lose Harvey Keitel. You replace him with. Uh, he, they replaced him with Sheen, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, yeah Keitel the started choice, it, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, this is not working." Yeah. They, they, you know, they. Eric Stoltz, uh, uh, Michael J. Fox, that situation. Right. right. Um, oh my God. Okay. Harrison so. Ford's in it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole the whole yeah. thing. Uh, you know, what? like this is one of those moments where I want to tell people: if you've never seen a, a documentary called Hearts of Darkness, get your hands on it and look at what happened making this movie—the absolute catastrophe that trying to pull this thing off was, because it almost defies belief. Um, and of course, now it's masterpiece. Yeah. 
So. Of course. Nice. And Coppola had his players, but his players were good. Yes. Yes. As opposed to David O. Russell's players, we'll go back. Right. We'll go back over that again. <laughs> I mean, like, the other thing, too, the thing I've always thought about Apocalypse Now is I've always said if I was Coppola after that, I would have just hung it up. Like, four home runs to start your career, and the last one almost killed you? Just walk away. There's no, You have two Oscars. Right. All of your films have been nominated for Best Picture. Just leave. Good. Just take your money and, 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 and do other shit. But then there would have been no Assassination Tango then. Uh, there would have been no Tucker. There would have been no Dracula. There would have been no Jack. Probably, yeah, yeah. But I'm like... Just, just hang it up, you know. Just say I've, I've, I have achieved everything I want to achieve. I'm, I'm retiring undefeated. People don't do that. Though. No, I know, I know. Maybe we'd be better off if they did. Well, there we go. That's Norm. Uh, a bit about Norm. We'll, uh, we'll learn more about him when we get him back sometime before 206 more episodes. Um, for now, though, we've got uh, got a great film to talk about in the new slang. The new slang for episode 206 is Black Klansman. Come on back after this. Black Klansman was directed by Spike Lee. It was written by Spike with David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Charlie Watchdall. It stars John David Washington, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, Ryan Eggold, Jasper Pakonan, and Topher Grace. Black Klansman is the story of Ron Stallworth. That's Washington. He's a police officer who joins the ranks of the Colorado Springs PD in 1972 with hopes of doing some good. His first assignment, once earning rank as a detective, is to infiltrate a speaking engagement by Kwame Touré, also known as uh, Stokely Carmichael. It's there that he meets and falls for a young woman named Patrice. It's also there where he gains the trust and respect of his department. When he gets the chance to direct that trust and respect at something better than monitoring a civil rights leader, he looks across the battlefield at the KKK and he calls them to apply for membership. Two problems here. One, he uses his real name. And two, you know, he's black. But Stallworth is undeterred, believing that the Klan is the true terrorist threat that we now know them to be, and feeling that they are worth a closer look. So he turns to his fellow detective Flip Zimmerman, that's Adam Driver, to physically be him. His Jewish fellow detective. The Klan goes for it, and before long, Ron Stallworth, a black man speaking to them by phone and a Jewish imposter attending their meetings, begin to infiltrate the racist organization deeper and deeper, all the way up to the Grand Wizard himself, David Duke. Black Klansman is a film with its eye on the past. While set in 1972, it makes a point to include American touchstones further in the past than its story. Before the dust is settled, there's nods to everything from Brown versus Board of Education to a birth of a nation. Spike Lee is hellbent on reminding us that the past has a way of feeding the future. So, pop quiz hotshot, with that in mind, what would you suggest Lee is trying to say about how the more recent past has informed our present? Well, he, he goes everywhere from the Civil War is really where he starts. Mm-hmm. Like that first shot from Gone of the Wind, the dolly out, famous dolly out scene, at the Atlanta railway station where all the Confederate soldiers are lying on the ground. And he goes all the way through to Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, where the guys in the khaki pants with their torches are marching around. Basically, he's saying the more things change, the more things stay the same. That's what he's trying to 
bring home to everybody. Yeah, he's that's tr- his point. He's trying to say that he, you're saying he's trying to say that this is basically just a cycle. Exactly, and you're it keeps at, on going. Yeah, um, I thought for me, what, what I thought Spike is trying to say with this movie, and, for, and we should say that this is a really well done movie. Um, history has a knack of laying in wait. You know what I'm saying? History has this weird knack in America of the wrong side getting knocked down. You know, virtue somehow finds a way to overcome. And the racist side, the hateful side, the oppressors get taken down a peg and get pushed back behind the lines. But they don't ever seem to retreat. They just kind of simmer and regroup and talk amongst themselves until they get another chance. Waiting for their moment. Waiting for another moment. Yeah, exactly. That's the one thing I think that Spike is really trying to say with this movie is that any time that hate can get its moment, it will take it. The other thing I think Spike was trying to say with this movie is the the key of why he really decided to make this moment, make this film, is that the present has a way of forgetting. You know, um, I remember like watching this movie and thinking about all this stuff and like watching the clan not quite at its height. It was really, really scary more in the 60s and the 50s. In the 70s, it was still terrible, right? But it wasn't doing the kind of really, really nasty terrorist acts that it had done in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and what I saw that was a good point of that was the David Duke scenes. He's got no staff. He's like in a one room by himself, yeah. answering his own phone. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no big organization yeah. there. They've it's, been dialed down. They're they're still very much. They're still very present. They have no qualms about owning who they are, um, but they're not. They're, they they aren't quite as brazen as they were in the middle of the 20th century. People have forgotten that. People have forgotten. Like I mean, I'm 40, and I mean, and in the 80s. There was still very open talk of people who were in the Klan. Like, you'd see them on TV. You'd see them... uh, You'd see Confederate flags all over the place. And history... Now we're like, wait a second. How come all this stuff is coming out now? It's like, no, no, no. It's not coming out now. It was around in the 70s. It was around in the 80s. It was probably around in the 90s, too. We just didn't really realize it. And we have a way of forgetting what happened 10 years ago. It wasn't in your face. It was... Bubbling under is how I like to say it was. Yeah. It was just, just a little bit below the surface, but it was there. Yeah, yeah. So I think those two things put together are why Spike decided that this was the time to tell this story. Um, I take it you dug this movie. Oh, I loved it. It was okay. an excellent movie. Uh, one of the better ones I've seen all year. Um, Spike coming back to his glory. I have to divulge that uh, one of, I do the right thing is one of my... On my letterbox, it's in my top four all the time of my okay. favorite films. So nice, nice. Love Do the Right Thing. Um, I also like the fact that um, he couldn't. Denzel's too old to play the role, so he got Denzel's son to play the role because he's always needs to have a Washington in, in a lot of his movies. Oh, shoot, that's right. I hadn't thought of that. Um, has it, wait, it's been a while since he worked with Denzel, isn't it? Like, has he worked with him since Inside Man? Well, that was the last time, and that was the last good movie, too. I liked Chirac. Am I the only person who likes Chirac? Oh, I think so. No, I, <laughs> I did not like that movie. I like this movie a lot as well. I found it strangely cold in places. I, I think it, I, that might have even just been kind of my mood going into the theater. Um, I, I saw it in kind of a late show. So if I'd seen it more like a supper time kind of show, I might have I might have latched onto it a little bit more. But the story itself and the way he executes. Like this is, 
Spike is is underappreciated in his craft. You know what I'm saying? Like that man can shoot like nobody's nobody's business. He can edit like nobody's business. And when he gets the right material, it all kind of comes together really, really well. So I think for my reaction to the whole thing, I didn't, through a lot of it, connect emotionally the way I have with some of his other movies like like Inside Man, even though that, that's just kind of a big, buzzy popcorn movie, or Malcolm X, or, or Do the Right Thing. Um, but I remember, I feeling, watching this movie, I was just pinned in my seat, well, like watching technique, and watching story play out. Yeah, he was, did very well with that. Um, but he, ha- he has those techniques, still. So he has the people coming forward on the dolly, that was yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, the overblown colors, that was there. And that whole Alec Baldwin piece towards the beginning, as um, Mr. Be- Beauregard. Yeah. And he gives him that name because that's like a big Southern general's name. Right. And it also happens to be Jeff Sessions' middle name. So he's kind of, again, oh, linking wow. stuff forward yeah, there yeah, again. Yeah. And that whole speech he was doing, making the errors and going through and getting his lines from off the side like he does those little kind of vignettes in the middle of his movies yeah as kind of a standalone and you're wondering what that is but then in the end it all kind of comes together and fits and he's been doing again he's been doing that since do the right thing right like there's that whole argument and do the right thing about uh, like this culture this culture this culture right. and we see it again in 25th hour where he like he's talking to himself in the mirror and he goes exactly. on about it over and over and over so at least this time we, we kind of get it we kind of get it inside of the first 10 minutes True, you know, it happens right away. Um, so it, it's, I mean, yeah, like this movie is this movie is Spike doing what Spike does well, and hanging it on a, a, a really good story. I, I kind of felt like there were some times where he was trying to wail on the present a little bit too hard. Like somebody does say, "Make America Great Again." Yeah, he that was a little out of, out of place. Yeah, yeah David is, Duke was saying that. Yeah, and there is I America mean, First. America David, First. David yeah. Duke was saying that America as well. First comes up as well. Yeah. Um, but I, but. Like we said, like I said off the top, people have a way of forgetting. So if you've got to really put a point on it, if you've got to use a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel this time, the world is kind of on fire. So I can't really blame him for using a sledgehammer where he used to use a scalpel. That's true. It's a lot going on, even every day. Every day there's more more news. I want to just wake up and have a normal day. I miss having a normal day. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I, I really hope so. I know I, I'm, I know I'm optimistic to a point, but I really just, I'd love to have a normal day. Um, you know, Washington's performance in this movie, it kind of carries the whole thing. Now, have you have you seen him before? Do no. you watch Ballers? No, no. He's the main kind of wide receiver guy in Ballers. That's where I know him from. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he's in there with The Rock and uh, the, the, the diva wide receiver playing for Miami has a chance to play other places, but he's always in ballers. Okay. That's where I know him from. Okay. And he's and he's good in that? He's good in that as well. Okay. I mean, it's kind of funny because I watch Sharp Objects is on before ballers and then Insecure is on after ballers. So I'm usually watching okay. at the beginning or the end. Maybe I should stick with it one time. Um, he's got to do a lot of things in this movie. You know, I mean, which uh, this is, the, the, that might be the stupidest thing I've ever said on this podcast because a person of color has to do a lot of things in life especially at this time right True. like he he's there's times where he's got to be coiled there's times where he lets his emotions boil through there's times where he's got to be calculating and i mean there's a lot of turning his other cheek especially amongst who's supposed to be his colleagues right, right. like when they're giving him grief he's got his, especially that one uh, officer 
which was maybe the only part of the film I didn't like. I don't want to give it away. Yeah. But there's that one there's thing a, there's there. There's a strange subplot. Yeah, that I... How that ended up, I didn't... That didn't fit, I Yeah, don't it think. felt like a bridge too far. That didn't, that didn't fit. Um, but Two I mean, parts of that end didn't fit. But I mean, like, yeah, right at the beginning, they, they kind of... They, they frame him up to say, you're going to be this department's Jackie Robinson. Right. Right? And, and you remember how Jackie had to do it. You have to have the guts not to fight back. Um, I mean, he's got that, but, I, but he also has to... He has to carry himself a certain way within his own community. Right, which like that's the thing. It's not that was the interesting thing about his performance for me. Not so much watching him within his department, but watching him with Patrice and watching him with the student union, where he's kind of infiltrating them too and trying not to show too much of his hand. That's true because they all have a, a bad opinion of police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't think any of them are good at all, or any of them ever want to be helpful. Yeah, and that's what his job is. So he's kind of hearing all this stuff and kind of taking it in on one side, but not taking it in completely because he's trying to do good and he's a police officer. But that's their experience. And then we see it play out partway through the film again uh, on a, at a traffic stop. So well, we see it play out within him, too, right? Like when he's listening to Kwame Ture, you can see a lot of what he's saying tap some nerves, right? Like, and, and Spike Lee shoots out really well. Like he shows a lot of faces. So you can see that. You can see that he really wants to embrace what he's hearing. It's probably the only time you got to hear the, guy, the man speak. But he can't, he can't betray his mission. Exactly. And also, he's wearing a wire. Yeah. So his <laughs> colleagues are listening to him, and this is kind of his test, his first foray yeah. into being undercover. So he can't be standing and cheering because he'll betray himself for his job yeah yeah so he, has, he has to keep that a bit in check as well yeah so like watching washington through this watching him on the phone with everybody watching him late in this movie he's finally put into the fray even just watching him there's a scene where he's almost found out and he's got to wear a very specific expression that's quietly panicked because there's somebody at his door who he does not expect to be at his door but he can't betray the fact that he knows who this person is. Washington does an amazing job in these moments. Yeah, he's good. And also, that scene is also um, double, double jeopardy because of who he's with. Oh, yeah. Who the person at the door could easily put one and one together and figure that out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but incredible. Doesn't. Um, you know, here we have uh, just, you know, a few weeks after Sorry to Bother You, we have another movie that's all about code switching. It is. Why do you think we're tapping the subject over and over now? I think because of what's going on in the U.S. and how it's it's the people the things that were bubbling under um, folks in those camps kind of are seeing a green light based on what they're hearing from the highest office in the land mm-hmm. that maybe they can come out into the out in the light and do what they want to do. And oh, that's a reaction to that. Okay, so you're saying that. There's there's kind of a whole other type of code switching that's going on where, on on the side of of white people, where they used to be a little bit more passive about their racism, now it's like, well, it's okay. Yeah, well, you know, if, if he can say it, I can he, say yeah, it. If the guy in the Oval Office is saying it. Yeah. Huh. I'm free to come out and say it myself. Shit. <laughs> that's that's a crappy place to be. Um, yeah, and I mean, again, this is another area where Washington really carries himself really well he talks about it uh like he's doing his interview and he's like you know I, I kind of i consider myself bilingual um and he he never actually 
it's funny because he never actually really gets too deep into it. Even when he's talking with Patrice, he still seems to be holding back. Like he's never actually talking the same way that the rest of his community does. At least to my ear, I could be wrong. No, he's he's guarded. He's, yeah. he's guarded. Yeah. So, but he's but he's also still not speaking the way he would speak to David Duke on the phone. No, he's he's walking a thin he's walking a, a balance on a balance line there on a beam kind of yeah it's very thin line he's walking. And it's kind of crazy to and see. And another cool scene is when he's telling Flip um, Adam Driver's ca- character when they get in that kind of stock room and trying to show him how to talk like him. Oh yeah, and how, they will never know the difference. Just talk like me. Steve Buscemi's brother Michael. Is in Where there. did this guy come from? I have I've never, never seen, seen this before. guy before. I was like, what's Steve Buscemi doing in this movie? Yeah, it's not Steve it's not Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, yeah. yeah. It's his brother Michael's in yeah. there. And like, he's kind of the, the third guy involved. Yeah. And I read a bit about the true story. And it was the two of them kind of were flipping back and forth. Okay. In the infiltration. Really, huh. there were two guys wow. doing the infiltration. Oh, man. So they kind of made it one for the movie to make it to more clarity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because the one thing I remember coming with, you know, when we were talking about the, in the intro of Kraft is Spike Lee really knows how to direct tension. Um, There's several scenes in this movie that are sky-high stakes. There's a scene where Stallworth is almost found out, like at his own door. There's a scene where Flip is basically threatened with having to take a lie detector test. Uh, there's that's not even getting into the end of this movie, which is basically just one great big Jenga game that's waiting to fall. And at every time, you need to remind yourself that the clan, the people in these in this movie, are so hair trigger dangerous that any wrong thing could set them off. And it's also the first movie in a while, maybe because of the times, where the clan is portrayed as being dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent films, are kind of comic relief, even kind of. Yeah. Um, Django and Chained. They're kind. Of, it's kind of a funny scene if they're in it. Oh, Brother, uh, Brother Thou, same yeah. idea. They're yeah. kind of a funny kind of relief story. Here, they're serious. It's mm-hmm. a serious thing. And I think Spike really wanted to have them be, that, no, this is something serious. It's not something to be looked at lighthearted. Well, it's funny because they are still all like, almost entirely idiotic rednecks. But you realize that it's, it's a whole other kind of dangerous where it's, they're, they're, they're violent and they're stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not they're not violent and they're vicious. They're not the kind of people who are going to lure and entrap. They're the kind of people who are going to set a gun off just because they don't realize that they've left the safety off. And it's like that's even worse. I'd rather a violent person be calculating and smart. If you're violent and stupid, I'm really afraid. Right, because there's plotting that could go on, yeah, and plotting that can go wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, now we're in a point in America where where any person of color can be killed just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, including by cops. This was back in the area where they thought even less of it. Like, you know, at one point, he's running away from their house, and they're all just out in front firing their guns at him. That is, in Colorado, that's where we are in this movie about dangerous and stupid and, and the stakes of any one of these moments. That's true. You know? I, yeah, that, that's also part of a, that big tension scene. Yeah, there. so it's... You know, it's it's a credit to Spike in how he writes these scenes and how he uh, executes these scenes in basically always making you think that, you know, to, to steal a phrase, that there's a bomb under the table. True, yeah. I, I, I do, again, I'll go back to the point that I do like that he highlighted the danger of the, the situation as opposed to 
these guys don't know what they're doing and will never get anything right. Yeah. He, he led. He leaned more on no. These guys are really dangerous. Yeah. Um, there's even a scene early on where um, Flip um, is in with the main kind of not the leader of of uh, the clan, the local clan group. But the, oh, the, the with, true believer. The yeah, true he's, believer. He's in with oh uh, Walter or Felix. 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 Is the one, Felix, Felix is the one who's crazy. Felix yeah, is the Felix. one I was afraid of. He's the true believer. He's right. in with the true believer. Yeah. And someone's coming near them, and he goes to make a move that he's going to do some serious damage to this guy. Yeah. And flips like, just just someone following us. There's no need to. But no, he's serious. Yeah. No, it's and I mean, it's funny because like there are moments in this movie that are really funny, which oddly enough. But there's also a lot of moments that are just really, really terrifying. Yes, it's, a lot of terrifying. You know, it's it's not... Yeah, I don't want anybody to go into this movie thinking that it's a romp. It's really not. It's absurd. There are a lot of moments in this movie that are purely absurd, right on down from the fact that a black person could infiltrate the clan by the phone, because I think that says something to the intelligence of the clan. Um, but to, to the length that they would have these conversations on the phone. But no, this movie is not a comedy. Please don't think that you're going to go see funny shit. This is a very, very grim movie in a lot of places without being, without being a chore. I think actually that's another thing that I like about this movie is that it's really, it's dark and it's serious and it has a lot of important things to say, but it's never, it never feels like eating your vegetables. No, it's not a chore at all. But I do like the parts in there, though, where it does go to the dark places. Oh, yeah. I think it needs to go to those dark places. If it didn't, it would be lesser, lesser of a movie, lesser of a film. There's some interesting relationships in this movie. One of them is the relationship between Ron and Flip. Because, I mean, here you have... It, it's 1970 in America. It's not a great time to be a Jewish person. It's certainly not a great time to be a black person. Um, they're not, they're, they're, their challenges are not the same. Because Flip can certainly move through circles that Ron cannot. But watching them work together, it's this neat little evolution. Watching their relationship kind of grow as this case goes on. Especially Flip. Because Flip starts out like, this doesn't mean anything to him at all. Sure he'll do it, it doesn't matter, he doesn't care. Yeah, what's, like, what, what does he, the rookie want? He's not, like he's Jewish, but he's a non-practicing Jew as he says. He doesn't... Right. Concerns himself that way. That's it. But once, not that that matters to the clan. But, you once, know? but once he gets into the meetings and hears them talk, um, and then all, especially once he gets one on one with Felix, he realizes he does have skin in this game. This is important to him. Yeah. You know, these things do mean something to him. Yeah. Which Ron couldn't understand in the beginning. Why does this not mean anything to you at all? Yeah. But once he gets drawn into it and he sees what's actually going on, it does begin to affect him. Yeah. And that's an interesting kind of movement in Adam Driver's character who. I like in anything he does, mm. except when he's in Star Wars. I, oh, really? I can't get over him. Just, <laughs> is it the hair? It's the hair. It's the <laughs> character. I just Darth Vader light. I just don't like it. Okay. But anything else he does, I love, and he's really good in this as well. Nice. Um, and yeah, like it's Ron seems to bring out that in him as well. You know, like it's it's he comes to it on his own just by just by going along with the case. And seeing what's happening on the other on the other side of the line, and seeing the the very real threat to to Ron and people of color at this time in America, um, and it you know there's no there's no moment where they really have that shoulder punching buddy moment. You know, it just this is just a relationship that just grows on its own as this case goes along. 
and they're just naturally in it together at one point. I think that's that's a really good achievement in terms of its arc. But there's one scene I think where Flip really, really when it really clicks in that he gets it. Okay, is when they're doing the target practice. Oh, you yeah. don't see what they're shooting. You just see the, the cameras facing them. Yep. And there's a couple of guys on the side that are kind of, who are these guys? I'm not sure these guys are. And they're just all kind of shooting, shooting, shooting. And Ron's kind of in the background kind of seeing what's going on. Yeah. And the shooting ends. All the guys walk off. And Flip walks up. And now the, the camera comes around and shows you what those targets are. Yeah. And, and he touches one. And at that point, he's really feeling what's going on. I thought that was an excellent scene in the, in the movie. Because, I mean, like, I think that's the point where he realizes these guys are more than just talk. Exactly. You know, he's, he's watched, seeing how idiotic some of these guys are. There's the one actor, he's also in I, Tonya. Um, the, the, oh, the, the, yes. the really heavy idiot. Right. You know, the whole time going along, Flip is just looking at various levels of redneck. And yeah, in that scene, when, when he sees like, there's two guys he doesn't recognize carrying some very, very, very serious firepower. They're clearly skilled. And the type of targets that they're shooting at, he's like, it's his oh shit moment. You know? Exactly. Um, and then, you know, the other relationship we get that we explore as well is between Ron and Patrice. And I mean, it's, that is kind of quietly emblematic of the struggle for um, cops of color right now, you know, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing, you know, like cops are just, they have the best way I've ever heard it put was in a documentary called the force. Was it called the no, one about the, po- the, the police force in Oakland? Okay. I, um, I want to say it's called the force, but the, there's a, there's a reverend who's talking to an incoming class of, new recruits and he's trying to spell out the nature of your job now and what you're going to face out on the streets of Oakland and he tries to point out he's like you're coming into this and you have taken on debit it is not your fault it is not your responsibility but you are taking it on and you can you will not live long enough to pay it off every cop who has come before you has done so much shit and it's now on you you know it could be your first day but you go into neighborhoods and they're not going to trust you. And that's what it seems like Ron has to go through because Patrice doesn't really want to trust him. And he doesn't want to trust any cops. So he can't even tell her. Yeah. You know, so he's got to go through this relationship where it's basically based on a lie and try to build something with this girl. But he can't ever actually be vulnerable. Yeah, that's that acts out a lot. Like there was a Canadian movie that was out last year at TIFF called Black Cop that I okay. saw that I liked a lot. And... There's a scene in there where he's jogging, has his hoodie on jogging, and of course, a uh, uniform rolls up right beside him. Who are you? Where's your ID? All this type of stuff. He goes, but I'm an officer, and like, it, when he's not in uniform, he's just another black guy out there in a hoodie. Yeah. That's up to no good. Yeah. A lot of people see. And that's, and I mean, like, that's the kind of thing that we see take place between Ron and Patrice. Like, she obviously likes him, but... He can't... He's got a lie. She's... She's of an age where she's distrustful of everybody, you know, who she doesn't know personally. And her best friends don't like him either. Her best friends think there's something off with him as well. Well, because he's new, right? Like, they've got... they're, They're a very... They're a social circle. I mean, they're the social circle of people of color in Colorado. 
right? Like, like, like we're not we're That's not talking we're not talking about California. We're not talking about New York. We're talking about a very white state. You tend to know almost everybody. So if somebody new comes along, it's going to be like, who are you? It's not just the cop and girlfriend relationship that we see in every other movie. It's got a whole lot of nuance to it that's really cool. It is. And the first time when he said, well, what are you doing afterwards? Can we get together? And she said, well, i got to take um, Stokely Carmichael back to uh, his hotel. Yeah. But I'll meet you at this this spot. Yeah. And he goes there, and you kind of you're kind of not sure if she's even going to show up. Yeah. I was time. like, he's going to be waiting at last call. Yeah. And then she oh she shows up. Yeah. So you didn't you kind of sitting there going, is she even going to show up? They have that great conversation about black exploitation movies. Yes, when they're walking across the bridge there, and they show yeah. the pictures come up, and yeah, um, it comes down to Superfly or Shaft or Shaft, and then he actually spills it into a. What is he? He goes. He he then says the he gets into the actors, right? You know, and, and it's yeah. It's I, I kind of like that when you can have conversation of movies within movies. Yeah, that's, that was a good comment. A lot of them, and they talked about um, a lot of those movies came up and were discussed. Yeah, talk about coffee. They talk about Foxy Brown. How you know it was di- like she was a Pam Greer was different than what you were seeing the guys do because she was so clearly. Um, like a, a construct, not any kind, like not grounded in any kind of reality. Um, and I like how Spike would bring the the posters, the posters up for yeah. each movie as they're talking about the movies. Remind me of the heads coming up yeah. during the talk as well. Yeah, the, the, this all kind of builds to a head where we get in the late going this little TikTok back and forth between two gatherings. Um, we have Harry, Harry Belafonte playing Jerome Turner telling this class of students like we're talking now about what's been forgotten um this would have been at a time when history this history just wasn't being told right like that a lot of this history was being suppressed and he is telling this like gathering of the the students of color about life in the civil rights era and he tell like and, he, and he's talking about um like a boy gets lynched and and then burnt yes but the the thing is though this happens Right after Birth of a Nation comes out, yeah, and on the other side, you have a um, a ceremony of new clan members, yeah, where Ron is there, ironically, as the police guard for David Duke because the real Ron, because there's threats on him, and Flip is there being initiated, yeah, and they're watching Birth of a Nation, yeah, while he's while Harry Belafonte is telling the story about what happened after the Fuhrer of Birth of Nathan to this guy who was mentally retarded slow and accused of having sex of a white woman yeah and wa- so watching these two gatherings right one is celebratory one is almost like you know another wake and watching it go back and forth listening to the way one of the like the, you know there's talk in one there's celebration in the other there's um passion rising up in one there's just silliness in the other. Watching it go back and forth, it's 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 incredible to witness. Yes, excellent cutting done yeah. in that section back and forth. Yeah, between those two scenes, it made me I, like I'm I'm at a very strange place where I've never seen Birth of a Nation and I don't want to. It made me really not want to. I probably should, shouldn't I? Um, you seen it? I've seen it. Okay, it's 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 something to see. Okay, it's something to say you have seen. I don't know I'd go back to it, okay. but it's something to say that you have seen. Right, I'm not going to like this. And it's, a, it's kind of a good bookend to the Gone of the Wind in the beginning, because yeah. that's another kind of 
southern um, bell cow type film where the south and that that dolly pullback again comes back to the confederate flag kind of flapping in the wind yeah well it's funny too because in in that scene um jerome turner played by harry belafonte when he's talking about birth of a nation he's talking about it getting shown at the white house and about i think he said wilson Yes, um, President Wilson. De- de- you know, declared it one of the finest movies he'd ever seen. Gone with the Wind was the same sort of thing. When it was when it was premiered and when it was received, it was talked about how it was one of the finest movies that was ever made. And look at this. And it, when it debuted, when it debuted in Atlanta, they had a boys' choir sing at the premiere. And no shred of a lie, Martin Luther King was one of the boys in the choir. Oh, and, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, and they're all like, "Look at this achievement of this sweeping story." And you're looking back now, it's like, but it's such a gross story. You know, it's it's not quite... Like, nothing will ever be as overt as the birth of a nation, I sure hope. Um, you know, the way things are going, I never know. But, the, like, every passing year, Gone with the Wind just gets more and more and more icky. And now you're looking back, it's like, no, it was received the same sort of way. It was Best Picture in 1939, you know? With a lot of heavy competition yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's... There's a lot in this movie. I, I I feel bad that, as I said, there were moments where it left me a little bit cold. I'm going to hang that on myself just because there's so much to it. So many amazing performances. We haven't even talked about... Um, <laughs> we haven't even really talked about Topher Grace's David Duke. Yes, uh, he's... And I saw a side-by-side picture of him and David Duke about the same era. Okay. They look kind of the same. Really? Yeah. There's, oh, a, there's side-by-side photos I saw. And that's, another, like, that's not farcical. Like, that's, he's, it's all, you almost understand how he could sell his point of view. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's weird. That era of David Duke, he's eloquence. Yes, he's trying to get away from, um, he's calling himself the national director. Yeah. He's not, he's not the not grand wizard anymore. He's in a suit and tie, buttoned down. He's not in uh, the hood walking around in the sheets. Yeah. So he's trying, he's trying to take the clan corporate, basically, what he's trying to do. Yeah. And he's having a lot of success with that. Yeah. I mean, it's... The thing that's really scary about that is when you think about that, that kind of racism. What's scary to me is I get how that sells. I get how somebody who can speak eloquently and stay on message and just talk and talk and talk at length can convince people with just pure intelligence and charisma. And I, also people who have... Are not this is this seventy two is kind of after the American dream is starting to kind of go a bit downhill. Yeah, and people are out of work, and it's easy to say point to other people as a reason why you're not doing so well. Yeah, yeah, and that's what is sold to them. Yeah, as well. I mean, the, the where the thing is though is I get how somebody like Duke can do it. I what terrifies me is when somebody who can't string together a coherent thought like the man in the Oval Office right now, how they can sell it because then it's your you're falling for anything you know you're you're falling for somebody getting up there and not speaking eloquently and not being able to say something that's even moderately convincing just somebody who taps on like doesn't even like drill the nerve but just taps the nerve and then off you go it's really scary how little it takes i'm just hoping that that was based on his opponent I'm just hoping that that's the case. I, I, I mean, I hope so. I'm hoping that's the yeah, real I, I, thing is 
a lot of holding your nose and voting as yeah. opposed to I'm behind this guy and his message. Yeah, it's 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 complicated, and I mean, I, I you know I think I I the cynic in me wants to say it is a direct reaction to the first black president. I don't think it's an accident that the first black president was followed by such a screaming racist. It was also a perfect storm of crazy. Um, between mistakes Hillary made on her own campaign and the racism of post-Obama and the Russians, it, like, it was, it was just... Far too many things had to go right for it to happen. Um, but it's, but it's what, 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 has now, what has now been let out of the bottle... I think is what Spike wants to say is this is what we have done and we kind of did this before so we need to really take this seriously and that's that's the thing is I think if I'm guessing Spike is saying I know you're all exhausted and I know you're tired of hearing about this shit and you don't want to watch this on late night anymore but it's really important that we figure this shit out real quick right and also like not to say that we're innocent as well because oh no that type of talk is coming this way as well mm-hmm. um, with who we have now running things in Ontario mm-hmm. um, with the, the PC party there today one of the second kind of main guy was kind of going extreme he got kicked out today and he's trying to do his own thing now so and again and then the, the current leader Sheer, was talking about we're for strong borders and immigration like the same kind of things are being talked about here so we're not uh it's the whole all that innocent. you know yeah it's it's i i don't I, I have no idea what the hell just happened over the last five or six like i'm like we're all getting along so well what the hell did you know what did we do um no this movie that i think that's what this movie wants to know is is we're at we're at a crisis point and if the people on the side of justice and humanity don't step up and do their shit that it's going to get much worse much quicker um, and, and Spike says it in his very Spike kind of way. Um, hey, we end every uh, review here on the Matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, uh, you could. Norm, what would be your souvenir from Spike Lee's Black Klansman? I have three of them. Oh, my goodness. Um, first of all, I would take Ron's membership card. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Uh, I do hope somebody kept it. <laughs> he has it. Apparently okay. still has it. Uh, secondly, I, I like that red bug. That yeah, that's, that I is mine. That red that, bug. Yeah, that's mine. I don't even really like driving beetles, but, but I want that's that one. That's an awesome looking bug. Yeah. It's in and, great shape too. Yes, in perfect shape. And thirdly, that kind of lie detector um, thing that Felix had. <laughs> it's like something out of Meet the Parents. Yeah, it's kind of homemade etch a sketch kind of homemade chemistry. Yeah, that's the third one. Those are the three. I was trying to. Why pick do you want the, the lie detector? And, I think it's a cool little device he, he constructed there. <laughs> Just like have it, like show it off at parties or something? Yeah, yeah, let someone try it and see if they really like that movie or not. <laughs> Test them on it. Oh, I like this idea. All right. Um, hey, we rate on a scale uh, here on the Matinee cast of uh, one to four stars. Uh, Norm, what would you give on a scale of one to four? Spike Lee's Black Klansman? Do you do half stars or no? Of course, yeah. Three and a half. Three and a half out of four. I'm the same. I kind of feel like I might get up to a four eventually. Um, Spike, when Spike is on, can hit home runs, and I'm not dead certain that this is one. And I mean, he's 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 hit some amazing ones, right? Like if we're talking about Malcolm X and do the right thing and, and that kind of thing, I'm not quite sure if this is quite at that level, but this is something that is very, very timely, and it's him achieving on a level that he hasn't in quite some time. And I even say that as a fan of Chirac. 
Um, so it's three and a half for me, and it's only because he's going up against himself. It's far better than he's been for a while, but not quite as great as he can be. Um, but I do look forward to revisiting this film. I think that I'm going to be taking a lot more from it, even just watching it in six months. Like, every day is something new. And, exactly. You know, so like in six months, I'm probably going to look at this and say, yeah, you know, I should have seen that back then. But I think at the end, he goes, he goes a little too far at the end. He comes to modern time, we mentioned a bit, um, talks about the Charlottesville stuff. But I think there's... He could have trimmed that back a bit. Well, I, that, thought. I mean, like, that's the point. It's Spike, it, it, one of the things that Spike always seems to have a problem with is, as we said, just nailing the metaphor right on the head over and over and over. And he can't just let it be. He can't even just let them repeat blood and soil over and over again. He's got to cut from them saying blood and soil to the protesters in Charlottesville saying blood and soil and watch that whole thing play out. I mean, you know what the weird thing is? If that had been the start of the movie... I probably would have felt differently. See, but then I wouldn't like it because then you'd be going from the future to the. I like how we kind of built to, to the 1865 present? with okay. Gone of the Wind. Kind of went. Then he came to the 50s. Yeah. With Alec Baldwin, he kind of came to the 70s. Yeah. And he kept see, the thread keeps on going. He was kind of showing. Yeah. I did like that, but I think there's too much of that at the okay. end. But there we go. Three and a half from both of us. Hey, maybe you think that this is a perfect movie. It's a four-star movie. Uh, maybe you think it's terrible. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of Spike Lee's Black Klansman? Uh, come on back after this. We're going to take a quick break, flip the record over to play the other side right after this. back he's norm i'm ryan it's the other side matinee cast 206 we've been talking about black Klansmen. um there's a lot to chew on in this movie a lot of places we could have take this conversation but uh get us going here what would uh somebody who comes away from black Klansmen? what would be some good uh, further reading that they could move on to i'm i went towards the undercover cop okay uh area okay and um i went to uh mr scorsese and his best picture winning film. Oh, nice. Okay, you went with The Departed. Went with The Departed. Okay. okay. Because you kind of have a double kind of undercover event going on there. Oh, you, which, which we had in... Which in, you have in, 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 in Black Klansman as right, well. Right, with Stallworth, you know, leaning to infiltrate the people of color and infiltrate the clan. Okay, right, okay. So I went, I went there with that. Okay. Um, when was the last time you watched that movie? It was on TV, I want to say, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh, it's on TV all the time. It was on, like, A&E, and I saw it. Okay. Yeah. A&E, they probably edited the shit out of it. It was okay. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> so I saw a lot of it there. And the first time I saw it was on a plane back from Hong Kong. Oh, the man. Year it came out. Yeah, that's the first time I saw it. You know what's funny? Have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen Infernal Affairs? The, the Hong no, Kong? No, but I know that's what it's based on. Yeah, I haven't it's, seen that. Um, it's weird. It's one of the few remakes which I think actually improves. And I'm not like it's not like Infernal Affairs is a bad movie. Far from it. Okay. But Infernal Affairs just sticks to the cop story. There's not a whole lot of exploration of any of the characters on their own. Um, and getting the Costello story and getting Costigan and his you know his thing with Vera Farmiga. Um, I felt like it lent a lot more to the story, you know. It, 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 right. You know, I haven't seen I haven't seen the other one though, but uh, it's it's um, 
I mean, it's it's a it's a longish movie, The Departed. It's like two hours and thirty five minutes or so. It's long, but there's there's so many good back and forth. I mean, they're trying to find each other. Like yeah. they know there's a mole in the police. They know that there's a mole in in the gang. Yeah, who's the mole? And the moles are trying to find each other is. Yeah, I thought it was well, it's Scorsese, but yeah. it's, I thought it was really well done. Excellent story, and you have two again. You have two. Uh, two people infiltrating two different organizations. Yeah, no, and I, you have Jack, right? So uh, yeah, can't go wrong with Jack. I mean, <laughs> and it's it's kind of it's one of these times where Jack is let off the leash, but he's still, you know, the, the, the Scorsese never lets him go too far. True. Yeah, you know? he's also it reminds me a bit of his performance in A Few Good Men. Oh yeah, he's a little he's off to the side a yeah, bit. Yeah. But when he's there, though, like it's it's crazy, full on Jack. Yeah. Um, no, that would definitely make a good double feature. Uh, mine, you know, speaking of the um, the dual identity uh, thing, I went back to '98. I think this movie comes out. It was um, with. It's one of the few movies where Johnny Depp is playing it straight. I went with Donnie Brasco. Okay, I thought about that one too. Um, it's a movie where he's an FBI agent. I believe um, there's there was a. He, it's based on an actual story. Um, it's a true story. Yeah, it, it's a true story. And I think they made a documentary out of the true story um, where this FBI agent inf- infiltrates, like, successfully infiltrates the mob and gets up to... For a long time. For a long time, gets up to like kind of a big boss, too, and gets really trusted and just gets all kinds of dirt, gets himself in really deep, just screws up everything about his life, his marriage, you name it. Um but it's it's an amazing it's one of these movies it kind of just came out to like no fanfare I think it was like a February movie that just dropped in the middle of nowhere it wasn't a summer movie it wasn't any kind of Oscar bait but it has gone on to age amazingly well um, it's one of the few incidents where Johnny Depp is not putting on some kind of crazy accent I mean he's speaking with this kind of Sopranos-esque right. jersey. Yeah, he's playing the role. Yeah, but, but he's not... Not over the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's one of the last times where he's really kind of playing it normal. Um, and he and um, Al Pacino, who's another guy who can always go over the top, is more restrained in this movie as well. That's true. Um, I felt like it would have made a nice double feature with uh, Black Klansman. You probably haven't seen that one in a while. No, I haven't seen Donner, no, that one in a long while. I had two other kind of runner-ups, too. Okay. Um, if you, do you see a movie called State of Grace? Sean Penn way back in the day. Irish Mob. Right? Irish Mob, yeah. Oh, I've Sean seen Penn. it, but I've, I've seen it, but I've totally Gary Old, forgotten Gary all about Oldham's it. in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sean Penn is young, too. He's he? young, young. He comes back to his old friends. Again, he's undercover as a cop. Meets up with his best buddy, who's um, Gary Oldham. I thought about that a bit. I mean, State of Grace, That's I, I feel like that's actually a movie that's just kind of become like a victim of the 90s. Like, I kind of feel like if you were to bring that up, if you were to bring that up at the bar, I promise you half that table hasn't seen it. Oh, really? I, be, I, I really, I totally bet that. And I mean, Robin Wright is in this movie. That's probably where she met Sean Penn in the first place. I think so. That's where they met. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you don't get too many Irish mob movies. Like, it's kind of funny that, that two of your... Mob movies were Irish mob. That's true. <laughs> um, in terms of infiltration, um, there's all you know. John Turturro's in this. John C. Riley's in this movie, and there's there's music in this movie by Morricone. Um, but I feel it, it's it's one of these crazy things. We were talking about it. Um, we're talking about it on the last podcast where a movie can be actually rather huge in its time, but 
just a little bit of time goes on, be it 10 years or in the case of this movie, like 20, almost 30. I think it's 1991? Yeah, it's 19, yeah 1990. 1990, okay. Um, and it just kind of gets forgotten. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird, good. it's a weird thing, isn't it? Like these are, these are, there's major people in this movie, but you mention it to anybody who's under the age of 30 and they're not going to have a clue it exists. Okay. Interesting, interesting experiment. Yeah. Since I'll be seeing a lot of people at TIFF, I'm going to mention this movie and see what I hear. See what you find out. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I was thought of as well was I went back to Spike and thought about some of the movies that he's made and, and kind of the movies that I, I gravitate to as well. One of the ones he made that is considered lesser amongst the Spike movies, and it was kind of at the end of him really clicking on all cylinders. I kind of consider the end of him really nailing it just about every time was 25th Hour. Right. After that, he gets really, really mercurial. Stuff either really works or really doesn't, and there's often not a whole lot of in between. And it's partially because of the system he's built for himself. You know, he gets to... He's like Woody Allen. He gets to make his own stuff. He puts it out however he puts it out. Ten people might see it. Millions of people might see it. It doesn't make a difference to Spike, right? Spike just wants to keep working, put out his art. You like it, you like it. You don't like it, screw you. He doesn't care. But the last era of him kind of working within the studios and working for the man um, was in 1999. He released a movie called Summer of Sam. Yes. That was a very good movie, right? Summer of Sam. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Hottest then, Summer of New York. Yeah. Another movie. Really I, well done. Another movie I bet you a lot of people totally have forgotten about. If they or even, probably don't know what's a maybe they've seen it and don't know it's a Spike Lee movie. That's possible that, too. That could be that. I mean, going on as you well. Know, for a Spike Lee movie, there's a lot of white folk in it. Um, John Leguizamo, Adrian Brody in one of his first big roles. Uh, Mira Sorvino, Anthony LaPaglia, and it's all about the son of Sam Killer. Um, Summer I, 78, I want to say. He it was. does. It's kind of funny. Like, I like when he goes back in time. I like when he does era specific movies. Like That's when true. I, He's I, good when he does that. You know, it's uh, when he does like things like Malcolm X and this movie and when he did Black Klansman. I like him looking through the lens of history. He has a really, um, he has a real talent for being able to extract what's most important from the era and using that era to mimic this era. That's true. That, that, that's a good point. When he goes back, I don't think I've seen one of his movies I've not liked when he's gone back in time. He's even slightly back. I mean, I didn't even see... Did you see The Miracle at St. Anna? Was that any good? No, I didn't see that. Okay. No, I, I just, I, 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 no there's, I, a bit, there's been a gap with me and Spike, I must say. <laughs> I think there was a gap for a lot of people in Spike. Um, and I, I, you know, I just kind of want to pretend that Old Boy doesn't exist, but that's not back in time. Um, oh, I saw that. That was... Yeah, no, was a, speaking of bad remakes, there that was go. a bad remake. Yeah. Um, no, The Summer of Sam, um, if you want to see a movie that's kind of got lost in the shuffle of Spike's canon, like when you talk about Spike Lee movies, people tend to talk about... Who played Brody's girlfriend in that? She was really... First time I saw her, too. Um, it w- that was Esposito? Yes, yes. Yeah. It was the first time I saw her as well. Yeah. Um, no, it's... There, there's... The cast just goes and goes and goes. It's another one of these movies where the soundtrack is off the hook. That's another long movie, too. That one's like two... That one's like 225. Spike doesn't really make short movies. Um, but it's 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 something I think has actually aged really well. Yeah, he's living in his parents' garage, I want to say. Yeah. And she's always there with him. Yeah. And There's a great scene to Baba O'Reilly. I think that was the first yes. time I'd ever heard Baba O'Reilly when I was like 21. 
That was the first time you heard that song. I, I know, right? See, what do you mean? It's the first time you heard that song. I don't know. I, I just I hadn't heard. I just hadn't come across it by then. Wow. Right? No, I feel terrible. And sometimes I'm a very sheltered kid. Sometimes. Wow. Um, what else? Did you have any others? Um, no, I said Point Break was the other one. I oh yeah, yeah. Tell people yeah. about Point. Catherine Point. Bigelow. Oh yeah. The Oscar winner Catherine Bigelow. Johnny Utah goes <laughs> undercover to infiltrate this gang of um, surfer bank robbers led by Patrick Swayze. And it's the beach, it's California, it's rookie cop going into cover. There was kind of a year of that where rookie um, police people go yeah. into cover and do stuff. Yeah. I'm even counting um, Jodie Foster in there. Yeah. Kind of a rookie just off the force. They went fresh faces in. And uh, he's really good in it. It's well directed. Um, Patrick Swayze's great. And it's a lot of fun, right? A lot of fun activities, being daring. But there is some investigation going on. And he's... Gets right in, becomes best buddies with the main bad guy. Another movie where there's a romance, but he's got to lie. Right, he's got to lie about his what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's good. Um, Gary Busey's in there. Actually, <laughs> uh, uh, a lucid Gary Busey's in that movie. So that's, that, that's not a thing. Yeah, that's, so, but anyway, she's in that movie. So <laughs> as uh, lucid as he gets. Well, maybe. yeah, the lucid as Gary Busey can be is in that right, movie. So that right. That's one of my. I put that on my guilty pleasure list. Oh right. no! Have no guilt about that. That movie's awesome. Okay, good. It's it's. I mean, if you were lie, it's not. If I showed something like to now and they hadn't seen it yet, or they, 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 they were like younger than us, I don't know if it would hold up. I saw it actually. I saw a screening of it. Oh, they showed a screening of it at Lightbox, and it was a snowy, snowy night. Like it was one of these nights where there was like no cars on the street because the streets were like that. Okay, just yeah, that, I know that nights. messy. Right, and the theater was packed. It was it was during the. Um, it was during the they did a few years ago they did the uh, um, Keanu Reeves retrospective. Oh, okay, and it was it was part of that, and yeah, the theater was just rammed on this really really snowy night to watch Point Break, and it looked amazing on a big screen. Was he there? No, no, no? he okay. did like a little recorded intro. Okay, um, I mean, yeah, again, anytime you've got like people undercover, it makes it makes for a nice little. Sequence, right. right? Because that's that's just the underlying tension of the whole. Yeah, are they going to get found out? What are yeah, they, they, they almost get caught a couple times. Yeah, and, and there's some good investigation work in there with, with the wax on the boards and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the mask. They wear the mask. Yeah. Hey, listen. If you watch any or all of these movies, um, either in association with Black Klansman, or even if you can't get out to Black Klansman, if it's maybe not playing in your town, um, <laughs> you're in for a lot of fun. Really, like if nothing else, again, these movies aren't like eating your vegetables. They're they're a lot of they're they're really entertaining. I don't think I'd really have to twist somebody's arm to watch. No, nothing here is any of them, uh, really. Even if you haven't heard of State of Grace, path. yeah, yeah State of Grace, I highly recommend that one. Nice. Um, well, there we go. That is episode two hundred six of the Matinee Cast. The end of the season. Um, we're gonna, as I said, we're gonna be back with Tiff. Uh, as for a new season of shows, come on back on Monday, October eighth, for episode two hundred seven. You'll see some flags on social media uh, alerting you that it's coming up if you don't see your feed buzz for four or five weeks we will be discussing the remake of a star is born we're actually going to do a whole show dedicated to the three modern versions of a star is born so barbara streisand shout out barbara yeah we're going to talk about barbara we're going to talk about judy and we're going to talk about gaga and i've got a really great guest lined up for that show so please come back in october for that episode um norm of course can be found on flick hunter uh you're going to have a lot of tiff coverage on the I go? will, for sure. Yeah, I'm seeing quite a few, so I'll be writing about do you have a, best do you have, do you, do you have a Do you have a magic number in mind? I want to get the 40. Nice. I have 35 as we speak, so wow. another five okay. I'm trying to fit in. Okay. I'm trying to get the 40. 
Wait a Star minute. Born got... would be on that list. Okay, okay. Um, wait, sorry, you've got 35. Oh, you got 35. Oh, I was going to say, you haven't seen 35. Right? No, no, 35 is on the list of what I'm going okay, to say. Jeez, man. No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say you're doing it wrong, but... Um, very cool. I, and start, do you have one that you're more excited for than anything else? Like, what's the top of your list? Um, Green Book. That looks good. Yeah, Green Book's looks right really at the top. Um, if there was one movie that really made me want to break the all-female embargo, uh, it's the new Barry Jenkins. I got the trailer for that before Black Klansman. Okay. Uh, what's it called? If Beale Street Could Talk? Yes, that was there before Black Klansman. Yeah, God, that looks gorgeous. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Oh, at, Mc, at McStay12. Why McStay? I'm a big Glasgow Celtic fan, oh, and Paul McStay was okay, the yeah, biggest okay. player back in the day. Gotcha. So uh, Somewhere Andrew Robinson is nodding. <laughs> <laughs> At McStay one. There we go. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Google Play, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you uh, Pocket Cast as well. Uh, everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Black Klansman or any of the other movies that we mentioned today can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email Ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, RyanMatinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash DarkMatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? No, I'm glad to have finally sat down. Uh, it's a great movie. I recommend everybody go see it. It's, I really promise it will you'll not take, take, you'll take will something not take out of it. 200 episodes to get you back again. I okay. promise this right now. I'm saying it on air. You'll take uh, something out of it. I, I good you absolutely will. Um, for Norm, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at TIFF and at the matinee.